0: The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio, and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. How are you, sir?
1: This is Pierre.
2: Oh. I
3: can't
1: believe I'm talking to you. Dr. Ray the Great. Well, I don't know about that. I love listening to you. You have a personality just like my father. I
3: don't think you should feel helpless. You
0: Are helpless. Doctor, I really appreciate that. That makes me feel a lot better.
3: You be at peace, or else I'm gonna yell at
0: you. Trying to find a reason to speak to you. I think you're the best thing since place bread.
3: That Ray, he's something. Thank you so much for what you're doing for all the parents out there.
2: They don't know what I can possibly do. I don't either. I'm getting my money worth, I think, at this phone call.
0: Now from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray.
3: How can you get your money's worth if you're not paying anything? That would sound like a compliment. Actually, it's an insult. I'm not paying anything for this, and I'm getting my money's worth. Oh, well. I can take it. This is Dr. Ray Garandi, program Doctor Is In, Monday through Friday co-production. EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and Ave Maria Radio Communications with my producer man, Andrew Kruczek there at the studio. Uh, he does the editing of these look-back calls, which we're doing today, Friday, Look Back Friday, which is really, it's kind of interesting because that's not the proper sense. It should really be Listen Back Friday, but that doesn't roll off the tongue. It's a little more clunky. And they'll tell you in publishing, a good title is half of the sales. So hopefully, a good title of this particular variant of the doctor is in. We'll get a few more listeners. We'll get to those calls here in a second. But Andrew sent me something a few weeks back, and uh, I didn't get to it. Slipped into my email. Oh, sorry, e-person box. Ah, uh, this was about a month ago. Today, the American Federation of Teachers, the American Psychological Association, some group called Fair Play, I don't know who that is, parents together and design it for us. So I don't know what Fair Play is. I never heard of parents together, and I don't know what design it for us is. Called out social media. Oh, really? Took you long enough. Called out social media platforms for undermining classroom learning. No. Say it ain't so, Joe. It's a line from, uh, I think, uh, one of the baseball movies, The Black Sox Scandal. Shoeless Joe Jackson. Social media? Un- un- underlying the-, the desire to to learn no come on they said it also increased costs for school systems well indirectly that would be because if in fact you have a lot of kids not all that interested in the what they would see by comparison the absolute dullness of academia compared to the internet and social media contacts they said it is a root cause that's their words root cause of the nationwide youth mental health crisis yeah you look at all the stats right now all the indicators of the youth mental health are off the charts most serious is suicide highest ever ever recorded and continuing upward Anxiety, depression, drug use, all kinds of self-destructive, hurt, hurting stuff. Yeah, yeah, social media is big time into this. I've been screaming this for 10 years. Certainly glad that a few of these learned organizations are saying, oh, you know, I think this interferes with kids' adjustment. I think it interferes with their learning." Oh, this is great. This this is what they said. I didn't read this. I'm reading it as I go along. The groundbreaking report. In other words, this is a revelation that they think that social media affects kids' learning and mental adjustment. The groundbreaking report. Something's groundbreaking that's basically saying, we've just discovered it. Announced a series of recommendations and reforms that tech companies should take to keep American children safe and protect learning environments. Okay, let me just digress for a moment. The goal of the tech companies is essentially to keep people immersed on the sites. They do this in many, many ways. One of the ways is algorithms. These algorithms find out what a person is interested in by what they've downloaded, or what they've sought out, what they've searched. And therefore, the stuff is sent to them. They don't even have to search it out anymore. The stuff is sent to them because this was their interest. Have you had this happen on your phone? I, I get this all the time. It's bugging me. I will pull down the driveway. My text notice will ding. I'll look, and it'll say, Seven minutes to the North Canton Y. Twelve minutes to Little Flower Parish. Four minutes to Drug Mart. How does it know where I'm going? But it does. Says here, I quote them, likes versus learning. The real cost of social media for schools. This report was released by the American Federation of Teachers and its partners, and it details how school districts across the country are experiencing significant burdens as they respond to text predatory, that's a pretty strong word there, predatory and prevalent influence in the classroom and to the youth mental health crisis caused by the unregulated environment enjoyed by the tech companies that designed their platforms well I've said this social phenomena get a lot of momentum before the research and the pushback catches up to them so they're Long since influencing people with their attitudes, their mindsets, their particular moral beliefs, if you want to call them that, amoral beliefs, until some people start to raise a voice and say, uh, wait a minute, I think, I think there's some things we got to look at here. And it's nice to hear these rather high profile, American Psychological Association, nice to hear these rather high profile groups saying, okie dokie. We got a problem here. All right. Mm -hmm. Where are we at here? School districts have mustered significant resources to mitigate in-classroom disruptions. Well, I've had a lot of teachers tell me. My one one friend taught at a high school, and he always would say to the kids, "Uh, what's so interesting in your lap? Now, I don't know what the school's rule was about smartphones in the classrooms. I know a lot of schools have, have allowed it. I think they should absolutely not allow it at all. Uh CC uh, to mitigate in-classroom disruptions and grapple with an increase in depression and suicidal ideation among students, dangerous and disruptive behavior, and bullying and harassment by and directed at students, as well as the popularity of dangerous viral challenges that originate from social media. Notably, the increased attention to tackling tech companies' omnipresent role in children's lives has pulled resources away from the core mission of education. Ooh, Dogie. Uh, they give a whole. They give a whole bunch of lists here. Um, all the ways to do something about this is a very long article. But the, the point to be made here is finally, finally, some of the folks that have a voice, a loud voice, in this area are saying what only a small minority of people have said. This is not uniformly good, especially in the hands of kids. I've often drawn the parallel. It's like putting a machine gun in the hand of a three-year-old and saying, Hey, you be careful with this thing. When you take a group like teens, like adolescents, who are absolutely notorious Psych 101 for being sheep like. And then you open up a whole world that says here's how you need to think. Here's what you need to pursue. Here's how your morals need to change. Here's how your parents are wrong. Here is entertainment. Here's what life is like. Teachers, schools. Ooh slow-moving even slower moving is the mass do you believe this I mean compared to social media compared to the internet compared to the hyper-stimulation cocaine video environment you look up at a priest and he sounds like this in comparison well I'm encouraged I'm encouraged in fact By more and more people waking up to this stuff oh yeah if I had my way I'd say flat out under 16 you can't get on social media but hey that's never gonna happen and I don't have my way so but at least maybe awareness this is Dr. Ray I shall return in the words of Douglas MacArthur he was a mystic and reformer who died at the age of 33 Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church St. Catherine of Siena accomplished something no one thought possible. She convinced Pope Gregory XI to return to Rome after the popes had lived in France from almost the whole of the 14th century. They've been there ever since.
4: For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com
0: Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot?
3: I went to a uh, place recently, and uh, they had a trio, live music. Don't get too much live music anymore. Not like the old days when I was in college, and uh, most of the restaurants and supper clubs had uh, piano bars or uh, organists. That's how I put myself through school for those years. And I went and saw a trio, and I was quite disappointed. Quite disappointed. The bass player, who is typically the coolest guy in the group, they've always got their eyes closed because they're feeling the music. I saw him peeking. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He was he was looking out, it was barely perceptible, but he was looking out through the slits of his eyes, surveying the crowd. Yeah. Very disappointing. Very disappointing. Went up to him afterwards. I said, "You know, that wasn't really cool." No, I didn't. All righty. Plus, I didn't. I didn't go see a trio either. No, those guys don't start playing till nine o'clock, which is half hour past my bedtime. Sixties the new forty, but nine is the new midnight. Notice that. If I can make it to nine, I have an anonymous mom here, and she was describing her daughter. I think. <laughs> I think it with a great descriptor. <laughs> yeah. You know, people describe kids who erupt or throw tantrums or emotionally melt down. <laughs> she said her six-year-old daughter <laughs> jumps to, and if you know your military lingo, this is, this is the top of the scale, DEFCON 5.
1: She is homeschooled she does not have you know she doesn't have her own ipad she obviously doesn't have a phone she doesn't um you know we don't have any streaming services really um other than a free one my kids don't have free reign so just go hang out with whoever they want um all her friends are nice i'm friends with all her friends parents you know we have a great community of other homeschoolers we hang out with my two other children are Happy kids, you know, they irritate me sometimes because they'll fight. But honestly, they're they're nice and sweet, and they they are people pleasers. My daughter, since the day she was born, has not stopped crying. She literally, from the moment they laid her on my chest, she did nothing but scream for the first six months of her life. And then subsequently after that, she is just very, we call her stone cold. I hope no one knows listening, but it's fine if you are. I call her Stone Cold because she's just, she's never hugged her father. No reason. I have no idea why. At this point, we don't know if it's just she won't break character, if it's a long joke that's six years long. I have no idea. She won't hug him. She barely hugs me. She whines non-stop. and again, our kids are not spoiled, you know, um, or one income. I'm a homeschooler. I have a job I do at night. We don't have the money to spoil them. Um, i mean i'm with them all the time so maybe attention wise but that's Boy, what I mom was,
3: you know disgusting. what you just you know what you just did know. you know what you just did what did I just do you didn't even what? realize you did it <laughs> you tell, you eliminated all or most all of the potential contributors to your yeah, daughter's right conduct. A lot of the
1: times you're like, oh, ex- did they want to see? And I'm like, ex- no. You no. Know,
3: wait, you know which when you didn't eliminate? What? You?
1: Me? Yeah, well, no, that's the thing. That's my next one. She loves to spend the night with my mother, her grandmother. It's a fun thing they do, and I let her do it because she gets time one on one with an adult without her siblings around. My mother is like, well, she doesn't misbehave for me, which, of course, is code for what are you doing? But it's, she is great for everyone else. She did go to a little three-day-a-week preschool last year. She was perfect. Never had a problem. But with me, it's all right. stop whining. <laughs> all right. If someone you... touches her, she screams. All and right. All right. So wait, wait, wait a minute. Bad, okay. I can't take them anywhere.
3: All right. Hold on. I was going to say, <laughs> now you now you just eliminated the other thing I was going to point to. I know. I was going to say, of your three kids, she's by far the toughest the quirkiest, the moodiest, the whiniest, the arguingiest. Okay. However, you you got a problem, Mom. You got a problem.
1: I do. The problem you're is not our family time. No, 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 no. That's not the problem I'm referring to.
3: The problem is she behaves for everybody else, which means she has somehow over the years read the dynamics between you and her and dad and her, and she recognizes yeah. that you're totally frustrated in dealing with her, that yeah. you're unsure of yourself, you get into brawls with her, you, argue, you You just have developed a whole bunch of bad habits. Now, don't mishear me. I am not saying that you created her. She is who she is. It's her personality, okay? I think what I'm is saying her. is you got to handle her better. Now, yeah. you may oh, not yeah. make her a wonderful human being. She may still, by age 19, be the most obnoxious of your children. That's However, what i afraid of. Well, she's, again, she, every kid's got a different personality. And some kids make yeah. you think like you're God's gift of parenthood, and other kids make you think like, I've ruined my life. See,
1: you're, when the boys act up, at least I, I get it, because okay. I get it. And there I,
3: well, here's the problem it. we're oh. having here. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Do you have my book, Discipline That Lasts a Lifetime?
1: I do actually. Okay. I love it, and I have a highlighter next to my bed. I'm well, not making there's up. There's all kinds I of stuff in there
3: that should make you get control. Uh, let me give you. I'm going to make it real quick here because I know this is a very complex situation. If you came into my office, we'd fix this. But obviously, it's a radio show.
1: So I'll buy a
3: plane ticket now. <laughs> can you? Can you say to your little daughter, "You need to stop whining, or you're standing in the corner," and she'll? Oh, yeah. uh, and she'll do it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, then, what's your problem?
1: Because it's nonstop. I've been no, it isn't. No,
3: it isn't. First of all, it's not. I'll bet if you counted it as three times a day, if that. Uh, I know. Okay, but here's the thing: if you have discipline control, if you can say put your head down at Mm -hmm. the table, if you can say, well, when you're done whining, I'll give you your lunch. If you can say uh, that's mean to do to your brother, go lay on your bed. If you can do that Mm -hmm. without a brawl, you don't have a problem. You got an obnoxious, behaving kid, but you yeah. don't have an authority problem. What you're saying is, I don't want her to be like this. Well, no, that's she, correct. Well, she—well, <laughs> one, she is like that, but only with you. So that's telling you something. Yeah, that's yeah. telling you, as like every parent who walks into my office says, "No, no, I have discipline control." I'm no, we shall we have it? And then as I talk to him, I find out, "Oh, wait a minute, this kid's running them." Obviously, I do not know all of the particulars that's going on there. The significant thing that mom said, the beginning of the call, she listed all the things that she thought or she had heard me say in the past that could be contributing factors to the way this child behaves, and they're not there. None of those things. So she's really buffaloed. She's thinking, "What I I, I can't explain this. I simply can't explain it. I was about ready to say, this is your daughter, and you're going to have to deal with her differently than you dealt with the other two. But when she threw in, I'm the only one she does this with. Oops. Now, one could say, well, she's, She's secure and comfortable with mom. So, what do you expect? That's what she does. Plus, mom is the one who homeschools her. Mom makes demands on her. She doesn't like demands. Okay, got it. Mom says she accepts her discipline, which is interesting because think about this perspective she's not defiant. She accepts her discipline. If she were defiant, then, you, then you'd really have a problem. But mom is saying she's whiny, she can complain, she just is kind of an unhappy kid. So these are all sort of characteristics, at least in the home setting, that mom says, why is she like this? We'd have to really dig down into the dynamics of what's going on. But I'll give you a small example. What I would do if I had a kid like this, they would not be allowed to not hug mom and dad. That's not going to happen. I'm going to hug you, and I love you, and that's a beautiful sign of affection, and you're going to hug back. I don't want to. Well, that's okay. We're going to learn the habit. And until you do, you're not getting what you asked for. That's it. It's kind of like the parent with teenagers. The teenagers don't want to be hugged in public or they don't want to hear I love you in public or they don't want you to walk within two miles of them in public. Uh-uh. That's not going to happen. We're allowing the child to dictate the amount of affection we're going to get? See, that? that's not something I would have allowed at all with any of my kids. Unfortunately, they were all very affectionate. Why? Well, I think because some of them, we forced it on them. And then they learned. Become more natural with it. Oh, there's so much more to say. I want to say a few more things about it when I come back, and then we'll go to another call. This is Dr. Ray.
4: 60 Seconds with Father Mitch Pacwa.
0: Buddhism itself has a lot of different forms. Just no one type of Buddhism. When you get to Buddha himself, he was a complete agnostic and uh, supposed to have been a very wealthy prince who had everything but found that this was all hollow and empty, especially in the face of death. What he came up with as a basic principle is that the source of all suffering in life is having desires so you need to free yourself of all desires and then you won't suffer in this life anymore this would be very different from christianity where we don't want to give up our desire for god first we do believe that there is one god second we do believe that it's three persons in one god and thirdly that the goal of life is not emptiness but is union with god and through jesus christ that's the way of salvation the people you know and trust
5: When we ask God, our Father, to deliver us from evil, are we referring to an idea or a person? We are not referring to an abstraction, says the Catholic Catechism. We are referring to a person, the evil one, Satan, the fallen angel, who throws himself across God's plan of salvation accomplished in Christ. Jesus labeled Satan a murderer, a liar, and the father of lies. We do not pray alone. We pray in communion with the Church for the whole human family. Our interdependence in the drama of sin and death is turned into solidarity in the body of Christ, the communion of saints. If one entrusts himself to God, one does not dread the devil. Victory over Satan, the prince of the world, was attained once and for all when Jesus freely gave himself over to death in order to give us his life. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism.
3: Thanks for joining me, Dr. Ray Garanti, program doctor is in, variant the person. No, 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 wrong. Look back Friday. Just got off a call, original call was from an anonymous mom homeschooling mom three kids two of them much more cooperative than the six-year-old daughter mom was talking about why this could be and mom said in essence the daughter takes her discipline but there's just many aspects of her personality that are off-putting daughter won't hug i suspect the hugging thing the lack of hugging is related to the ongoing conflicts mom said she'd she's driven crazy by this daughter one thing I would work on with mom is to not be driven crazy Uh, mom said something just kind of in passing that makes people react much more strongly to kids behavior their present behavior mom said in so many ways I don't want her to be like this, and, and what's it going to be like when she's 19? Because I said that. I said, well, your daughter's 19. She could still be whiny and complaining. Well, I don't want that. So if you're desperate to say, I'm not going to have you be a certain way when you're 20 years old, and if you're, if you're indicating a proclivity in that direction when you're 6, it scares me. makes me panic. I get more frustrated and more desperate. If mom could just simply say, well, okay, honey, when you're going to whine and complain, just put your head down tell me when you're done whining and complaining, and you can lift it and we'll move on. Or if you're doing something that is inappropriate or difficult or argumentative, go stand in the corner. I'll tell you when you come out. Now, if mom could take that approach, now mom said, well, we try that. We do that. Well, okay, but given what mom described this was relentlessly ongoing which means which means that a high percentage of the time the child does this remember mom said it's totally disrupting our family so a high percentage of the time the daughter is somehow disrupting the family you can't disrupt the family if you've got your head down at the table if you're laying on your bed If you're standing in the corner, if you're sitting on the steps, oh, I suppose you could probably whine and complain, but mom says she doesn't do that. She takes her discipline. Well, okay. Then as long as I am able to say you're being unpleasant, being difficult, go sit down. I'll tell you when you can come back. And she goes and she sits and she stays. That's not a tough kid. That's a kid who has characteristics that are driving mom crazy. Now, I'm looking at this, Andrew, what I just did is I'm looking at we're we're five minutes away from a hard break. And the timing on those calls up there is 517, 454, and 542. So i got a decision to make. If I play one, it's going to take us all the way to the hard break. Then I'll comment afterwards. Or I continue to say more about the six-year-old daughter who goes to DEFCON 5. Now, I recall mom saying that. And in the replay of the call, you didn't hear that. When I heard DEFCON 5, I thought, immediate explosion mom didn't say that mom didn't say that she dealt with ongoing temper eruptions she said this is essentially an unhappy kid at home with her remember in passing she kind of said no preschool no problem no problem they loved her grandma no problem grandma loves her Now, mom said that by implication, grandma was saying, it's you because I don't have any trouble with her. And I'm sure mom, although she didn't say this, was probably thinking, that's because you give her everything she wants. Now, there may be some truth to that. Because mom's the one who makes the most demands of this young lady. Mom has the structure. Mom requires a certain amount of academic performance. So therefore, if this child doesn't like this, it's going to come out. It's going to come out in different ways. The danger here is what I call future projection. Mom is concerned that up to this point, remember she said this, this girl was like this from day one. Her temperament was difficult from day one. She screamed from day one. Now. That doesn't necessarily mean her temperament was difficult from day one. There could have been early on digestive issues, certain amount of uh, physiological immaturity that was causing discomfort in this little one. So you really, you really don't know. You can't extrapolate and say, well, see, even at two months, she was an unhappy kid. No, you don't get unhappy kids at two months you get kids who are for some reason in discomfort it's not psychological it's physical all right so there isn't necessarily a relationship between she was that way coming out of the womb and she hasn't been any different since i don't think the two are related if she were in fact temperamentally difficult you would see it more so across contexts. Maybe not with everybody. We had, when I used to work in the schools, I was a consultant to several severe behavior handicap classes. And we had one man who was an ex-Marine teaching one of the elementary SBH classes. The kids were referred to this class because of incredible classroom disruption, a lot of diagnosis of ADHD, Uh, pictures of just socially difficult, peer-wise difficult human beings. When I walked into that man's class, you could hear a pin drop. These kids were doing their work. They were pleasant. They weren't robotic. They were happy to see me, and me and the teacher would take them out for treat. But his structure and clearly his demeanor indicated a certain message to the kids. He was very good at it. So all of this supposed ugliness that was part and parcel of who the kids were, at least given their diagnoses, was not there in his class. Behavior is highly, highly responsive to the conditions of the immediate environment. The most violent person standing in a judge's courtroom is going to be ever so meek in the vast majority of cases. When we come back, let's see what we're looking at here. Oh, Sarah. Sarah is not talking to her mother. Now, this is not a seven year old who's not talking to her mother. I think Sarah's a tad bit older. Gotta decide why she's not communicating with mom.
1: Connection with Teresa Tomio.
5: Learn and spread the word about the food, clothing, parenting classes, financial assistance that these resource centers provide moms, and not just for a few weeks after the baby is born, but often for up to four years after birth. Don't assume that just because you haven't heard about pro-life resources or efforts that they don't or aren't available or that the church hasn't been involved. The media, and I know this firsthand from my years of experience, have been working with the abortion industry to suppress information about resources as well as totally misrepresent or blatantly lie about what the pro-life community offers moms and families in need. And last but not least, do some homework and prayerfully give thanks to these pro-life warriors and consider becoming a pro-life warrior yourself. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio, Weekdays, 9
1: a.m. Eastern, WTN Radio.
4: Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo.
0: I repeat, I'm sure ad nauseum to the guys who are here, a line from Pope Benedict Emeritus now, who used to say over and over again, to be a Christian is not the result of an ethical choice, but the result of an event, an encounter, a meeting with the living God and the person of Jesus Christ. This and nothing less is what it means to be a Christian. So we said the new evangelization is new in ardor. That's a kind of old fashioned word. What in the world is ardor? Ardor is zeal, fervor, passion. Are you passionate about Jesus? Passionate about Jesus. Are you zealous for Jesus? Are you fervent for Jesus? Are we fervent for the gospel? Are we passionate about helping this world come to know him?
3: Dr. Ray Garendi, a five-tooled pro baseball player trapped in a middle-aged, actually upper middle-aged psychologist's body. This is Look Back Friday, so we will go to Sarah, who called uh, some months ago about a disrupted Relationship with her mother. Sarah has not talked to her mother in a year. Sarah, is that because of you or because of her?
2: Uh, no, I elected to stop speaking with her and my dad at the time. I've reconnected with him, but um, after a year of counseling, expressing the boundaries and, you know, that I prefer she not share my personal life with everybody in the family and even having conversations where I say, I'd appreciate it if you didn't share this with anybody only to turn around and everybody in the family and her coworkers and friends are sending me messages or calling me about things that are very deeply personal. And uh at the advice of my counselor, I stepped back and just took a year and it's now beyond that. But I also became a foster parent this year and if I can't trust her with my own personal life you know, I have to protect the kids in our care, not just because I want to protect them, but because I, I am not legally allowed to share, you know, their personal life and what what they're going through and what their family has been through.
3: So, on the advice of a counselor, yeah, you you said uh, I'm not going to talk to my mom.
2: Yeah, and she said just give it a time limit. She initially she recommended a year. She said, you know, figure out, figure out what is important and how you can have a safe relationship with your mom. Um, you know, take the time to really process through where the hurt actually occurred, what the continual hurt is, because it's just ramping up. And it was getting to the point where I was starting to feel um, a lot of hatred towards my mom. I've since gone past that and recognized that it really truly is just, it's, it's the lack of trust. It's the breaking of confidence and she, Always comes back. Well, that's just how our family is, but it's not. Well, how long did it it take you
3: to realize you can't tell your mother sensitive stuff?
2: I mean, it's it's been about ten years, but I was also really hopeful. I'm, I'm, you know. Well,
3: Sarah, you're a slow learner on that part. Truly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if you keep thinking, well, I'm going to tell her things because it'll make us be close. And then, oh, yeah. she did it again. She turned around yeah, and she was... didn't respect confidentiality.
2: Yeah, it was always the guilt trip. Of, oh, well, you're just not close and you're choosing to have a fractured relationship. And, um, you know, what if
3: a... what if you talk to your mom? OK, question. But let me jump back a step. Are you a Catholic or a Christian?
2: I am converting to Catholicism but was raised
3: Christian. Okay. So you're converting to Catholicism and you you sort of decided, okay, Christ has certain requirements for us to live as disciples, right? One yeah. of those is honor your mother. Which yeah, doesn't, and that's doesn't where the big trouble is. <laughs> well sure, I would think so. So is there a middle ground? In other words, your counselor, are you still seeing this counselor, by the way?
2: No, I haven't in about six months.
3: Okay Your counselor, who I would suspect is not coming from your worldview, which is that uh, your faith says to you, uh, things got to get pretty ugly before I write my mother off. I I would, okay, so a secular counselor, and they're very commonly do that. Find a middle ground, Sarah. More or less say, all right, I can reconnect with my mom. but I'll just be real careful about anything I say about my personal life, about the kids, about anything. Yeah. And if she probes, well, how are the kids doing? Oh, they're doing good. I know he's, he's had a lot of trouble in his life. Um, you know, eight years old. What, what, is, what is the biggest problem you're having with him? Oh, no, we're doing fine. In other words, you're just making it real clear. I'm not giving you specifics. Yeah. Because this way, you'll still be able... To honor your mother, which means give her the respect that is her due because God put her in that role. She may be a jerk, but he put her in that role. You know, and secular counselors, their attitude is, well, if they're a jerk, and I'll bet you. Now, Sarah, I'll bet you. You tell me if I'm wrong. I'm not used to being wrong, but you tell me if I'm wrong. Your counselor used the word toxic.
2: Uh, Actually, no, they didn't.
3: Whoa. Whoa. What is wrong?
2: Yeah. I know. That's so rare these days because that's like a golden word. <laughs> oh,
3: yes. You're so right. And I was going to I was gonna say, you know, that's the go-to word there. I would suggest that here. You just go to your mom and you say, hey, Ma, I'm sorry. This is wrong. I was wrong to write you off. That was terrible of me. I'm sorry. That won't happen. And then she'll have to find out over time that you're not going to be real open with her on stuff that she can misuse. Yeah. And that's that's not disrespecting her. That's just kind of saying, Well, I can I've learned it only took me ten years and one call to Gurindi. Yeah. I've learned that I better be real cautious about what I tell mom because she just doesn't take care of it. There are so many reasons that generations separate. Commonly If it comes from the older direction, it is you're not living the way I would want you to live. Therefore, I'm going to create distance. From the younger generation, they look back and say, you didn't raise me right, or you did this to me growing up, or I'm unhappy with the parent you were. And so they write the parent off. Now, coming from people who don't follow Christian principles don't think that what Christ told us to do should influence us over and above our own desires and our own self interest. I can understand that. Their view is well, it's hard to get along with you, or there are things about you I don't like, or are things about our past that I'm having trouble getting over. So, therefore, I think all things considered, we best just separate. Now, I don't have any statistics on this, but my guess would be it's as high as it's ever been in our culture and perhaps in world history. The idea that when people become adults, they've decided, I don't really want to talk to my parents anymore. Very common. I think there's a lot of dynamics behind that. We've talked about it before in the show. But from a Christian perspective, my experience is it's a relatively small percentage of cases where complete separation is warranted. Yeah, you may want to put a little emotional distance in there. I got that. But full severing Of the relationship and I know I got some ugly emails on this one Uh, Dr. Ray you just don't understand how difficult my mother can be well maybe not your particular mother but I've spoken to hundreds of people who have talked about their mother and I'm not a Freudian so given that probably the vast majority of these severed relationships are because I don't like who you are I don't like who you were you're hard to get along with you're emotionally very difficult and manipulative I'm not gonna argue that that's not your perception what I'm going to say is that from a Christian perspective we are obligated we're obligated to keep some kind of connection even with the most difficult types of parents. We are. doesn't mean they have to be easy to be around. It doesn't mean that they are open to your view. Uh, There could be all kinds of personality dynamics going on all kinds I'm, I'm not naive dr a you're just trivializing it you don't know how hurtful my mother can be you don't know how manipulative she can be you don't know how difficult she can be well not your mother in particular but i've certainly seen a lot of adults who have to deal with their parents who are difficult very difficult extremely difficult okay i'm not going to argue that what i'm saying is keeping in mind that When somebody's difficult, the degree to which they disturb your peace is heavily influenced by you. Does that sound foreign? If they act a certain way, you you have to react a certain way? You don't have to, you know. You can look at what they do or who they are and how they're attempting to be difficult and say, I, I, I'm not going to let this affect me as much. Yeah, you can't flip a switch and turn your emotions off. I know that. But you can certainly work on not letting them get to you that much. We do this all the time. It's almost like a reflex. Okay, they're, they're difficult and obnoxious. Therefore, I have to be so distressed when they're around. You can maybe not like when they're around, but you don't have to be miserable. And even more so, once they're gone for whatever period of time they were in your presence and now they're gone for the next month and a half or whatever it is, you don't have to have it echo in your well being. You don't. I know that sounds foreign to people, but it's true. You have enormous power. Over how something is going to affect you emotionally. It isn't a reflex, it isn't automatic. I've been shrinking for a long, long time. I used to be like six, nine. And one of the things that amazes me is how much people underestimate their ability to not be so devastated or hurt or affected by others behavior they underestimate their ability. they just think that it's automatic they act bad I gotta feel bad they act mean I got to get rid of them from the scene I can't think of any more rhymes never underestimate your ability to deal with difficult people especially those related to you that you have to be around because you will live at more peace. End of rant, Dr. Ray.
0: This Ave Maria radio program is brought to you in part by Fathom Events. The new feature film, Mother Teresa and Me, is in theaters for one night only. Thursday, October 5th. Mother Teresa and Me weaves together the stories of two women, Mother Teresa who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Information at fathomevents.com. That's fathomevents.com.
4: Does your brain appreciate stained glass for more than its beauty? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. Early Christians couldn't read or write for the most part. Stained glass windows placed in newer church buildings became Bible teachers. These beautiful works of art inspired and highlighted various Bible stories. According to a study from the University of Waterloo, it isn't just our ancient relatives who enjoyed the symbolism of Christian art. Our brains prefer symbols to words. I know, I'm a visual thinker. Let's face it, we can learn from symbols and we can remember more about what we have seen according to the research. Solid visuals can also help us understand abstract concepts. Maybe you relate to visual thinking too. Catholics often practice Visio Divina, praying with or focused on art. Think of how an illustrated children's Bible makes the job of explaining Holy Scripture and God's plan for us so much easier. For more on this, look for the Journey Strong tab at the homepage of
0: AveMariaRadio.net. Maybe you've been hearing a lot about the need to make a spiritual communion while participating from home in a live-streamed or broadcast Mass. Maybe you've even prayed the prayer of spiritual communion. Spiritual communion is a concept that goes all the way back to the 4th century. It flourished in the Eastern Church and gradually moved west. Spiritual communion stresses the transcendence of God, where we unite our desires, intentions, and loves with the holy sacrifice of the Mass and the consecration of the Eucharist at the altar. Jesus, I embrace you and unite myself wholly to you.
3: Look Back Friday, Dr. Ray thanks for joining me. Obviously, just a couple minutes before the end of the program. So, as I am wont to do, a quote from C.S. Lewis. God makes each soul unique. If he had no use for all these differences, I do not see why he should have created more souls than one. Be sure that the ins and outs of your individuality are no mystery to him. And one day, they will no longer be a mystery to you. See, this particularly speaks to me as a shrink. Because part of them is trying to figure out what makes people tick. Why are they the way they are? What's involved in all of this? And only God really knows each and every aspect, each and every ingredient of who we are. I I don't know each and every ingredient of who I am, and way less do I know each and every ingredient of who you are. That's why he says, don't judge. You don't have a fraction of his knowledge, neither do I. So I'm always careful when I think, I totally understand somebody and then I find out later what I missed how wrong I was what I didn't know and if I can do that as a human with very limited knowledge and understanding I can't even imagine how an infinite God who knows every neural connection of the trillions in every human brain. I can't wrap my head around that. To be able to make his judgments about who we are and why we are. That's pretty impressive. As my six-year-old son Andrew said one time when we were explaining something to him, he said, that God, he's... He's a pretty smart guy, isn't he?
0: Yeah, Andrew. He is. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit dra.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.